Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 832. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, for our guided silent prayer, I want us to think about our physical participation as we worship. What are we doing with our bodies when we normally pray? The scriptures give us a number of different images. There are images where people have their arms raised, knees bent, heads bowed. If you grew up in a Baptist church, you know those well, heads bowed, eyes closed. Those are the two we seem to focus on for some reason. But scriptures also talk about people prostrating themselves, of course, putting their hands together. This morning, I invite you to utilize your hands as a, something to guide us in prayer this morning. Many of you may have, have prayed like this before, but we'll do uh, begin a, a time of prayer where I'll guide us uh, as you pray silently with our palms down. And you may just do that right there with your, with your hands in your lap, but uh, be aware of, 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 how you're, of what you're doing with your hands as we pray. We'll begin with palms down, and then I'll direct us to turn our palms up. Would you pray with me this morning? Merciful God, we come before you this morning with our palms down. Lord, and as we pray in this posture, we are reminded that we must release, that we must place something down, that we must release ourselves. Lord, we pray with unclenched fists. We release to you habits which are not healthy, things that we should not cling to, and we also this morning seek to release people whom we have sought to control. Lord, with our palms down, we remember that a significant 
portion of our worship is that we would give. That we would bring to your altar and lay down that which is rightfully yours. Lord, with palms down, we embrace a spirit of humility. May our hearts be bowed down to you, our knees bent to our King, to our Savior. And lastly, Lord, with our palms down, we remember that in worship and in faith and discipleship, we must decrease. We must become less and less. Lord, we turn our hands and we, we place our palms up. And in this time of prayer, we ask that you would help us to understand that we need to receive and not just give. We ask this morning to receive your blessing. The blessing of provision, the blessing of wisdom, the blessing of salvation, and of love. Lord, we approach you this morning with the faith of an empty hand. Give to us what it is your good pleasure to give to us. You are the giver. Lord, with palms up, we acknowledge your supremacy and our need. We are reminded that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that you have everything. Everything and everyone at your service. Lord, teach us this morning that as we must decrease 
You, O Lord, must increase. You must become greater and greater. And we thank you, God, that you share your increase with your children. Lord, fill us when we are empty. And may we now and always receive from you that which is true and noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, all things that are excellent and praiseworthy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the final in our series on the Sabbath prayer of Richard Foster, which goes, be still, rest, shalom. And we've talked about being still from Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. We talked about rest last week. Today we talk about shalom. We call it peace. It's a richer word than simply peace. <clears throat> it's interesting that I did plan this series some time ago, Jim Giffen, um, with the election two days away, it just seems to fit and be very appropriate. But there have been other stressors for us. How about the World Series, which turned out as it needed to, I think. Um, some of these football games recently, I won't mention uh, teams, but uh, football games, other things, but a lot more serious issues as well that have caused some of us uh, stress and anxiety and longing for peace. I was so appreciative of Stephen Ray back here once again giving me some important information. He sent me a study that the Anxiety and Depression Society of America uh, had put out, which shows, and I believe this with the college students I was on a retreat with just yesterday, 62% of students report that they are, quote, marinating in perpetual toxic anxiety. And, and students are very stressed out these days. In fact, when I use that phrase about marin, marinating in toxic uh, anxiety, they all nod their heads like that's a good way of putting it. We feel like we're just in the middle of it, soaking it up, and there are layers of stress upon us. The Harvard Business Review reported that 60 to 90 percent of medical visits are the result of stress. A specialist in anxiety who is local, I remember asking her, is, is anxiety in your mind the new depression? And she said, yeah, I think so. That's not to take away from the reality of a depression, which many of us uh, have struggled with. But she said uh, that, yes, it's, it's even more pronounced now. And my associate, Emily Rogers, who works with me with the Pre-Ministerial Scholars Program, she's about 24, and I said, explain to me why you think your generation is so stressed out along with other generations. And she said, I think a lot of it is social media. She said, think about it. With Internet and social media, we are exposed to everything, everything, and so much earlier in life. And it just compounds over the years. Well, regardless of your age, you and I often are seeking peace of mind and peace of heart and peace of spirit. In what way are you seeking peace in your own life? Because there are many of us who feel out of control when it comes to that. In fact, Dr. Edward Hallowell says that stress occurs when two things are present. First of all, a heightened sense of vulnerability, 
And secondly, a diminished sense of power. And I couldn't help after I read that to think about the Apostle Paul. You would think that Paul had this incredible sense of vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. Thinking about, think about it. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, not on a carnival cruise line. He is in a deep, dark, cold Roman cell, probably chained with his wrists or with his legs, I could get more graphic on the terrible conditions there, the stench and the cramped quarters, but most soldiers, if you look at Roman annals of history, most of the prisoners there would beg the soldiers for a speedy death, or many of them would take their own lives because it was such a miserable, miserable condition. And here is Paul in a prison cell as he is for a great deal of his life. He had every reason to feel vulnerable, and have diminished power. But everything he says is just the opposite of that. Look at what he says. Philippians 4, 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Remember where he is. Let your gentleness be made evident to all. The Lord is near. He's not just talking about Christ coming back soon. He's saying the Lord is already here in the presence of the Spirit. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, I want you to notice where it says in every situation. Uh, In the Greek syntax, in that whole paragraph, that is the uh, phrase that is in the emphatic position. It's actually just one word in the Greek. In some translations, it says in everything by prayer. In this translation, the NIV, in every situation, that is the linchpin word of the whole paragraph. In every situation. Now, I want to take that phrase, in every situation, and tack it on to a more recent prayer of sorts by the wonderful writer Anne Lamott. Has anybody ever heard of Anne Lamott? She's a wonderful, earthy writer, has a crazy story, and I just love her writing. It's very witty, but very deep and insightful. And a recent book she wrote on prayer is entitled Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Essentials of Prayer. And I just love that. She says if you whittle it all down, really those are the three main prayers we pray. Help, thanks, and wow. She says those are three essential prayers. And let me say, I think those are the three essential prayers for participating in God's peace, God's shalom. But given the text that we have this morning, I'm going to reverse the order to wow, thanks, help. And so this is what I want to talk about, first of all. In every situation, pray wow. And in every situation, pray thanks. And then in every situation, pray help. And and to be honest, I'm not going to focus it so much on us, but in our prayer that we should pray as we reach out to other people in need who need our help. First of all, in every situation, pray wow. Let's look at verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The word prayer there carries the idea of worship and adoration. In the Koine Greek, it's a word prosuke. And it's a beautiful word, this word for prayer. You know what it means literally? Face-to-face adoration. Isn't that great? That's a wonderful word for prayer, face-to-face adoration. If you are truly adoring God face-to-face, you can't help but say, wow. And we do that because the Lord is near, as our passage says, in the presence and power of the Spirit. And so when we need God's peace, the first thing we do is pray in worshipful adoration. You can bring your needs to Him later. The first thing you do is adore Him. 
Because when we do that, we get a better picture of his sovereignty, that he's got this, that he is in control. And we remember his majesty, his holiness. And we're reminded of how big he is. Isaiah 40, 12 says that God has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. You go to Isaiah 66, 1, he says God is so big that he uses the earth as his footstool. You know, God never looks at your life and says, wow, I didn't see that coming. You know, nothing catches God by surprise. You'll have more peace in your life when you put him on his throne through prayers of adoration and worship. When you and I face peril, confusion, uncertainties in life, we need to begin with prayers of adoration and remembering how big God is. Now, I was going to take this in a totally different direction until this past Tuesday when someone shared a devotion in staff. Who is this person here? Do you all know the person on the left? Who is that? Rosanna's wonderful, by the way. Is she not wonderful? Love her to pieces, and I love it whenever she shares a devotion because she has thought through it. She's composed it, written some things down. And what she had to say this past Tuesday in the staff devotion, I thought, thank you, going to use that. Um, She mentioned, first of all, that two weeks ago there was a terror plot in a London tube train, and they arrested a suspect in that, and that was a scary thing, all the more because Rosanna's brother and sister-in-law were on that very train where there was a bomb that didn't go off because they arrested the person in time. And then the Wednesday before, her nephew and his wife were celebrating their one-year anniversary in Italy. Do you remember what happened in Italy twice? Earthquakes. And they felt the rumblings of both of those on two separate occasions. And it caused Rosanna to reflect about the perils of life and our need for peace. And this is what Rosanna wrote. These events remind me that life is fragile and precious. And because we are fragile, it is so important to identify ourselves, to claim our intrinsic value. We are gods, and honestly, this truth is what saves me from myself. And so I celebrate the simple things. I celebrate the moments when I try and fail, and even when I don't try hard enough. I celebrate breathing in and out because living is our work and our gift. I celebrate the knowledge that tomorrow, if we awake, we got a second chance to do it all over again and just maybe do it better. And finally, I celebrate what I know, that we are illuminated by a divine love shining through the eyes of each other. In the glow of this love, we understand our real worth. So keep it easy, she says. Revel in the moment. Don't succumb to fear. Trust that God's got this. And then she closed with this wonderful thought, kind of a poetic thought by the poet William Stafford, and it's entitled, Yes. It could happen any time. Tornado, earthquake, Armageddon. It could happen. Or sunshine, love, salvation. It could, you know. That's why we wake and look out. No guarantees in this life, but some bonuses like morning, like noon, like evening, like right now. When in trials, we need to remember to start with a wow prayer, one of adoration, to participate in his peace. We pray prayers of adoration for all the bonuses that God has given us this day. 
We wait on the petitions and worship him first. Worship our sovereign Lord. In every situation, we pray, wow, and we're reminded that he's got it, which is why you're familiar probably with the Acts prayer, A-C-T-S. Adoration comes when? First. The petitions come last. The word supplication there you could put as petition. Adoration comes first. Adoration precedes petition, supplication. But thanksgiving does as well, doesn't it? You can see it right up there. So in every situation, pray wow, but also pray thanks. Let's talk about thanks. Back to verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In every situation, pray for peace with thanksgiving. No matter, you know, when, no matter what Paul went through, he always gave thanks. I don't know if there was a, ever a more grateful person alive. His letters are replete with offerings of thanks, offerings of appreciation, whether to people or to God, in every letter that he wrote that we know of. It's amazing. You see it in all of them. Here he says prayers of peace that begin not just with adoration but with thanksgiving. It's also like the Acts prayer. The T comes before the S. Now, why do that? Because we're thanking God. Now, do we do this because we're thanking God in advance for the things that we know we're going to get? Because we know what we're going to receive? No, that's self-serving, and that's about us, which it shouldn't, shouldn't be. Thanksgiving is an illicit expression, explicit expression, of what our, let's say, creatureliness and our utter dependence on God. When you thank someone for something, especially when you thank someone deeply, You're acknowledging your dependence on them. Well, all the more, when we give thanks to God, we're acknowledging our dependence on him and delivering ourselves from ourselves again. And realizing what John Claypool always said, life is what gift. How often do we remember that life is gift through the course of a given day? Do you stop and see these incredible miracles that are just pulsating around us each and every day? Spiritual leaders today call it the art of noticing. How many of y'all remember Michael Landon? When I was a kid, I used to love to watch Bonanza. He was Little Joe. Later on, what was the other? Highway to Heaven. And there was another angel. Little House on the Prairie. Oh, God, I mentioned that. Boy, there's some rabid fans back there. Uh, And then Highway to Heaven. He had all these successful shows and everything. Well, I'll never forget... Because he seemed so larger than life, and you remember when he was uh, diagnosed with cancer, and they held a press conference uh, about it, and he was very honest about it, uh, shared his fears and his, his pain about it, but also his hopes. I'll never forget one of the reporters, when he opened it up for questions, a reporter said, has this crisis made you love and appreciate your family more? And he thought about it, and honest, he said, honestly, no, I've always loved my family, I can't imagine loving them more or less. And then he thought about it for a minute. I'll never forget. He said, but I do notice them more. I do notice them more. You know, a lot of us love God, and we love him very much. And, And we would probably say our love for him has not diminished, even though maybe our actions might show that. But we would say, no, 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 we, we, we love him hasn't changed much, but how often do we notice him in the course of a day? How often do we notice his myriad of gifts for you and I in the course of a day? How often do we see all the reasons we have to give thanks? 
when we have our eyes open to all these things, we see how incredible life is such a grace, it is such a gift, and do we practice that art of noticing as we should. You know, as a parent, I loved it when my kids would receive something from someone and they would say, what, thank you. Now, like many of you, they didn't start saying that without prompting. Are you with me? And what did you always say? What do you say? Hannah, what do you say? Nick, what do you say? Nick, what do you say? Had to work on him a little more. And they'd say, thank you. And wasn't it a great day when they finally would say it without any prompting? (laughs) Well, I can't help but apply it to us. And I know Thanksgiving Day is right around the corner, but I, I wonder how often do you and I need to remember, as even adults, even as grown-ups, what do you say when you see all these gifts out there each and every moment? What do you say? Well, so I want to ask you a few questions, and I want you to respond. Yes, I want you to respond with a nice, loud thank you, okay? When you wake up in the morning to another day of life, what do you say? When you sit at a table with more food than you can possibly eat, what do you say? When God gives you people in your life that you care, care for you and who love you, what do you say? When you open up your Bible and you read about God who is head over heels in love with you, what do you say? Okay, this is the last one. Next time you observe the Lord's Supper and you remember the fact that Jesus died for you on the cross and rose on the third day that you might have eternal life, it is time for you to say what? Thank you. Y'all try to be a little louder up here up front. Do we practice the art of noticing all that God has given us? Because again, you're not just thanking him out with joy, but you're acknowledging your utter dependence upon him for all these incredible gifts. That is when you and I tap into that surpassing peace. In every situation, pray for peace with thanksgiving. You know 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, which reads, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that's what we can't help but do if we belong to Jesus. I love the prayer of peace in the bulletin at the very bottom there where it says, let me be Naphtali, let me be Naphtali because the name there means child of favor. Let me be Naphtali because I realize how in favor I am with God though I so don't deserve it. May we all be Naphtali, giving thanks because of the favor God saw in us in spite of our So in every situation, we need to pray wow, but we also need to pray thanks. And finally, in everything, pray help. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Did you notice the Beatles there? Okay. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding or transcends all understanding. By the way, that peace of God, the word peace there and it says which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts that's a military term there will guard your hearts it means literally it will stand sentry over your hearts it will garrison itself around your hearts and your minds in christ jesus beautiful beautiful passage and let me ask you this i know you yearn for that yourself but do you genuinely wish that for everyone everyone you see out there who does not know the gospel who is not allowed themselves to give themselves over to it, those who don't know the joy of the Lord. 
And I want to focus more on that, not ourselves, because shouldn't we wish that for everyone? Wish that everyone could have that surpassing peace. You know, the word shalom literally means wholeness. Some of you know this. The ancient Hebrew word shalom meant peace, but it meant peace of mind, peace of body, peace of heart, peace of spirit, peace, uh, you know, economic peace. Uh, having a shelter that gives you peace. It's all those things. Emotional peace, it's all these things wrapped together. And it really is what we should hope for everyone. Uh, Many of us have read The Whole in Our Gospel by Richard Stearns, and and he talks in there about the whole gospel. What was our original theme? You remember when we started the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world? I heard it. Good. But he talks in there about the whole gospel, that the whole gospel isn't just going around and witnessing to people and telling them about Jesus and then checking a box. Not at all. That doesn't reflect this shalom, this salvation we're trying to bring them. By the way, look up the Greek word for for salvation in the New Testament, soteria or sozo in the Greek form. It means wholeness. That's what it means. It means wholeness, deliverance, and healing. That's what the word salvation means. We're talking about helping to save people, not just spiritually, but physically and emotionally, psychologically, all those ways to give them holistic shalom. And that's what Richard Stern talks about in the whole in our gospel, bringing in the whole gospel. And what I appreciate so much about Paul in this passage, he doesn't just say, do these things and and that's enough. No, you got to take it out there. Look at verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. You could also translate that, put it into action, and the God of peace will be with you. I think one other way we tap into God's peace is not just praying for it and receiving it and being thanksgiving and joyful and adoring, but we put it into practice in our own lives by taking the peace of God to other people. And I think the God of peace will be with us as we do that, as we engage in that, and forget about ourselves and try to reach other people with the gospel. Again, didn't mean to embarrass you, dear Marla Quartz, but I remember at a recent deacons meeting when we were circling up in prayers and Marla Quartz prayed, I pray that we would be the answer to our own prayers. That's solid. Because Paul is saying that, you know, beyond the peace you and I give the privilege of experiencing, we need to also be the answers to our own prayers and take that peace to others. Not just seek it for ourselves, but to pursue it. Look at 1 Peter 3.11. I've always loved this. He's talking about believers. They must seek peace and pursue it. Don't just wish for peace and seek peace for yourself. You've got to pursue it on behalf of others. Philippians 2, you know, prior to Paul getting to this marvelous passage on the peace of God, what is he talking about there? He's talking about the self-sacrifice of Jesus, and he's saying, I want you to be sure to think of others as more important than yourself, and look to the needs of others more than your own needs. And then he starts talking about the peace of God. Obviously, he's saying you've got to look out there and find God's peace as you reach to people outside of yourself. Tim Keller has a wonderful piece called The Beauty of Biblical Justice. And he defines shalom as, quote, universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. I love that definition. And he depicts shalom, this is interesting, as a beautiful fabric that God wants woven together. He said if you took a thousand threads and just plopped them down on a table, they would just be a glob of threads. What do you have to do for them to be a fabric? You've got to weave them over and under and through each other and around each other and make them become interdependent on each other, and then it becomes a beautiful fabric. It becomes a fabric of beauty, a fabric that can be warm and strong, 
And he says that this is what God wants. He wants all of our threads to be woven together more, more interdependent. The more we weave our threads together in our own community, but even more so out there, in the greater community, we have more of a beautiful, harmonious, knitted, webbed, interdependent network relationship with each other, believers and non-believers alike. Keller says that these threads needed to be better woven together. We need to be more interdependent. We're not as interdependent as we should be. And it's interesting, he uses at that point an example about poverty. And he notes that his own children had a 300 to 400% better chance of flourishing economically and socially than a child born in poverty. And he notes that, and then this is what Tim Keller says, that's just one example of the way in which the fabric of the world, the shalom of the world, has been broken. It's not enough to do individual charity. You have to address the larger social issues. We need to weave ourselves in the needs of the world and and create a better shalom tapestry, whether it's these incredible ministries we do locally, whether it's our relationship with True Vine Church, whether it's the group that goes to Mongolia each year or South Africa or Rio, wherever it might be, we are weaving those threads all the more toward a more beautiful and stronger fabric as we weave into God's kingdom. We're called to bring that surpassing peace and weave it through the entire world. Paul says, put it into practice. Be witnesses to that surpassing peace of God. Even in tense, awkward, fearful circumstances. I've talked about us being awkward, that part of what we're called to do as ministers of the gospel is to be awkward and be in awkward situations where sometimes we feel helpless or inadequate, and that's exactly where God wants us to be so we can depend on him more. But I read, I remember back in 2014, there were these protests in the Ukraine And there were demonstrators in Kiev who clashed with police over these new laws limiting the right to protest. And and there were these terrible protests on on a given day, and the special police force, it's the Burkut, I think is the name of them, and they shot down four people who were protesting out on the streets, and hundreds were injured, and finally there were three Orthodox priests who had had enough. And this is fascinating. They wanted to be agents of peace, so very bravely and very peacefully... They walked onto Grushevsky Street, and here's a picture of it right here. I hope you can see that. You've got the Burkut uh, special police back behind him with guns drawn. You see someone, uh, a member of the public right here with a uh, gun drawn right at them. And it looks like this guy's got the gun pointed at the priest. And these three priests stood there with uh, icons and crosses and just stood there silently. And, and, and people were fascinated by that, and it's funny, the special police force invited them to come join them. Uh, the people on the streets invited the priests to come join them on their side. They wouldn't move. They just stood there in between them, quietly and reverently and peacefully. They entered this arena of fear armed with the surpassing peace of God, calling for complete peace. And as they stood there, they prayed and sang what's called the Pascal Traparian. It's an Easter hymn of the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is this, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. They kept singing that in their native tongue over and over, and you know what happened? The conflict ended. It stopped. People dropped their weapons or put them away and quietly walked away. And that's a beautiful hymn that is sung. Uh, Some of us have uh, sung a more recent song 
uh, that's rather contemporary, and, and it's, it goes like this, and it's based on that Traparian, uh, the Pascal Traparian. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead. We are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. For that, we have every reason to pray first, wow, and then thanks, and then, yes, help. Not just us, but help us as we help the world. And we can have that peace and bring it to others as it's reflected in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. And because he is, friends, we can have peace. Let's pray together. We yearn for it, O God. We so desperately want it for this world, especially among those who do not know you personally. So may we be agents of your peace that brings wholeness to people. Not just spiritual peace, but emotional peace. Peace that fills hungry stomachs. Peace that brings justice in places where justice simply doesn't seem to exist. Peace to people who are struggling, whether with anxiety or depression. People who need a sense of hope and need to see the light at the end of the darkness. Thank you for that peace, O God, and we pray for it, beginning with adoring you for your holiness, your majesty, all your many gifts for which we give you thanks. And help us not to get to the petitions until we have done those two. So in praise and adoration and with thanks, we pray these things in your name. Amen.